When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode 149 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. Shot St. Jacques back here with you for another week of Knicks and NBA talk. We will get to a lot of playoff talk again this week. There really, again, you know, Knicks news-wise, there really wasn't a ton this week to get to, and that allows us to talk a lot more NBA. Again, you know, the plan with the show is unless big Knicks news comes up, uh, we're going to wait on the draft a little bit more. We're going to wait on the draft lottery. I really want to see where the Knicks are going to pick before I really go headfirst into the draft stuff more. Now, again, if stuff comes up, reports come out, stories come up, things change then we will dive into it but the biggest news around the Knicks this week are you know just speculations over trade targets and every time we talk about those things they really don't lead to much so I really want to talk NBA this week and go right into the playoffs there's a lot to get to so I hope you guys appreciate that seems like you guys really enjoyed the last show Uh, numbers are still good on that front which is great I really I'm really excited that you guys continue to enjoy the playoff basketball that's what I keep saying Knicks fans love basketball even if we're not in it they love talking basketball so i'm excited to continue to talk playoffs all the way to the end as we normally do on this show so again let me know what you guys think about what you'd like to think the knicks to do during the offseason it's been very clear what i've said in the past few shows where i want the knicks to to add where i want the knicks to improve so we'll touch on that in the next week or two again but for now we're talking all nba playoffs we'll start in the east where we picked off, uh, picked up from a week ago, and again, there were some big game sixes. I, I, I talked about it on the show last week, all the potentials in the East and in the West for game sevens. We got no game sevens in the first round <laughs> after all of that. Everybody that had a chance to close out did indeed close out. Philly was a lot more convincing in game six than they were in game five. We'll start there. They win in, in Toronto as they probably should have in game four, but they do it convincingly in game six, 132 to 97. However, now there's some, you know, injury issues potentially uh, with Joel Embiid. And that continues to rear its ugly head. The Just to kind of flash forward a little bit, the Sixers heat series has been very one-sided because Embiid has not been in the lineup. That's essentially what has occurred here. And, Games one and two have been blowouts, essentially. The Heat have been in complete command, and it looks like Joel Embiid is going to be out for game three as well. However, according to multiple reports, the status is still, you know, potentially the status can still change. So 
We'll see on that front, but I, I think it's too little too late. I, I think this series is essentially done, even if Embiid comes back. I think it's too late. I, I think the Sixers have lost their opportunity, and, and I think if Embiid is, was healthy for games one and two, I think this is a totally different series going to Philly, but I think the fact that Miami has won in the convincing style they have won in, and the fact that the, Embiid is likely not to play in game three, I think this series is likely done. I, I think Philly... Could make could still win Game Three. I think it's possible, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I think that Miami worst case scenario I think is going to split in Philly, and, and I think they'll either finish it in Game Four or Game Five, depending on how Game Three pans out. That that's kind of where I where I'm at. I, I really don't expect Philly to have much of of a fight because their star is out, and James Harden is not the same guy that he was with with Houston. It, it, this is not the same James Harden. You know, this is not a guy that can take over a series potentially on his own when he's right. So he's taken a few steps back in that regard. Still an amazing player, but he, he's clearly shown in this postseason that he needs a star with him to even be competitive. And without Joel Embiid, you know, this has totally changed the series. And I firmly expect the Heat to win this in four or five games. I think the series is done. It's a shame because I think Philly really could have made this a fun series. I still would have picked Miami to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, but the path has eased for them a little bit here without having to deal with a size mismatch that Joel Embiid brings in this series. So it's a shame Philly at least didn't totally blow it in the Toronto series. They picked themselves off the ground after blowing it in games four and five and walloped Toronto around in game six. So they saved face in that regard. However, this season is going to end as it has in many years in the past where it's going to be disappointing and we wonder again what the future is going to hold for Philly and for Joel Embiid in that city. I, I want to mention this as well. It's, it's come up multiple times. I kind of said it at the time of the trade, but when you look back at that Harden-Simmons trade, at least in the short term, what a disaster. What a disaster for both teams. Holy smokes. Now, again, Philly's not out of it yet. Let, let, let's, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to totally, you know, put a fork in them yet. It's a 2-0 series, you know, at bead, it's put, it's touch and go. I, I still think the Heat are going to win this regardless. However, to be fair, the series is not over. It's not 3-0, this, you know, it's not 3-1. Let's not totally stick a fork in them yet. However, it's looking that way. Right, it's not looking good for Philly. The series is is it, it, it's not over, but we're on the path to it being over. That that's kind of where I'm trying to say. This trade, man, what a nightmare! What a nightmare trade for both of these teams. Honestly, I mean, it can't get much worse than this. It really can't. And I have to say, the future for this trade as well not looking great. With the status of Harden, the way he's been playing in the playoffs, and and the way Ben Simmons just is as a, as a professional, it seems, from the outside, and the fact that he can't stay on the court right now. It's remarkable to me. And, and I really don't know what the future of this trade is going to look like. It really is remarkable. But for the time being, we'll have to wait and see. I really, I really worry for Brooklyn and Philly moving forward and again the the reason for that is because they're stuck here philly 
they're stuck here, Brooklyn. Like, this has to work. <laughs> you know? This is a strategy for both teams that has to be a fruitful one that leads to success or a whole era, especially for the Philadelphia 76ers, gets wasted here. This is a... I mean, how long has the process been going on? I mean, nearly a decade, right? So long that this has happened. Philly has not made it to an NBA Finals during any of these years, any any of this run. And have they even been to an Eastern Conference Finals? Maybe once? I can't even remember if they've been to an Eastern Conference Finals during this run. I mean, that's what we're talking about. And then for Brooklyn... You know, this has not been as long of a strategy here with this big three. But, excuse me, this is not the way we saw this going whatsoever. To see one of the three traded away in Harden for a guy in Ben Simmons who can't play, and we're not even sure where he's going to play when he does and how successful he's going to be, And again, Ben Simmons is going to an environment where he's not really going to be held accountable. You know, stars rule there. You know, Katie and Kyrie, what they say goes, basically. And Ben Simmons is going to be expected to play really well, but the pressure is going to be just as hard on him in New York as it was in Philly. You know, Ben Simmons isn't going to New Orleans. Ben Simmons isn't going to Minnesota. Ben Simmons is not going to Portland or Sacramento. Remember one point he's like, I'll go to California, but just, you know, you know, only, only for the five teams, you know, like he was trying to pick and choose. It's like, do you have a right to pick and choose? What have you done, sir? What have you been doing these last few years? Not a ton, especially when it matters most, not a ton. So that's where you start and you go, oh boy, where, where are we going to see Brooklyn in two years? Where, where's Philly going to be? in two years I don't know because again you look at the east right the hierarchy of the east where Milwaukee is at where uh Miami find themselves Boston has rebounded during this transition between Brad Stevens moving to the front office and Ime Udoka taking over and we'll get to that great series that's developing between them and the Bucks in just a second but you start to wonder, what is it going to look like in this conference? And I don't know if Philly or, or Brooklyn are going to be you know, top contenders in a couple of years. I really don't. They are running out of time, especially, especially in my opinion, you know, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, you know, again, it's a, sh- it's a more short-term thing as far as how long this has gone on, but they are, you know, they don't, they're not going to get many chances at this. You know, these are guys that will want to leave and go somewhere else if it doesn't work in a heartbeat. You know, Brooklyn really needs to make this happen. Now listen, Philly's not far behind. Philly is going to run out of chances as well. You know, I mean, Joel Embiid has been injury prone his entire career. And listen, he's 28. But he's he's seven feet tall. I mean, how many more chances are you going to get? You know, how many more chances is Philly going to get with this group? I don't know. You start to wonder, man. 
you start to wonder. But other teams in the East have, have got to be thinking, well, you know what? It, it, the door is open for us. We're feeling pretty good, and we'll see what happens. So I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there for now with those teams. But man, Brooklyn's season is already over. They didn't win a playoff game, and then you look at at Philly, and, and they're on their way out here in round two again. And you start to wonder, man. You start to wonder. All right. The other game sixes from last week, obviously Phoenix figuring it out. You know, winning game six over New Orleans, 115-109. And now that Devin Booker is back, Phoenix have been clicking on all cylinders. They really have. And I was going to bounce, you know, east and the west, but I'm just going to bounce around here. I, I really enjoyed the way that Phoenix handled this without Devin Booker. Because they had to do this last year. And I said this at the time when, when Booker went out. They had to do this without Chris Paul during the early rounds of last season's NBA playoffs. They beat the Lakers in the first round with Chris Paul being in and out of the lineup. We really didn't know what his status was going to be the rest of the playoffs. And Phoenix has done extremely well to navigate it. And now they're 2-0 up on the Dallas Mavericks, who also won their game six in in Utah, although that game was very much down to the wire. Dallas nearly blew it at the end. And was it Bogdanovich, I think, had a chance to win it at the buzzer, and he ended up coming up a little bit short in a 98-96 win. First playoff series win for the Mavs since they won the title over Miami back in 2011. That in itself is remarkable. But in the end, the the Utah Jazz had a chance to win it, and Bohan Bogdanovich came up short at the end with a three at the buzzer. He played really well, actually, on the night. 19 points, 50% shooting from three, but he did miss the last one, and that ended up being the one that mattered the most. And there's a lot of reports now that this this might be it for this, this iteration of Utah Jazz basketball. They might decide to blow it up after this, which would be a shame. You know, this was a Utah Jazz team that was the top seed in the West a season ago. Great players on this team. You know, Bogdanovich, obviously, but it's led by Mitchell and, um, excuse me, most notably, of course, Rudy Gobert, who I thought was a little underwhelming at times in Game 6. I have to say, I thought he'd have a bigger night, just 10 and 12. I mean, he played relatively well defensively, as he always does, but expect a little bit more from him in a must-win game. But... Mitchell had, you know, 23, 9, and 8 was fantastic. Jordan Clarkson stepped in with 15 of his own. Mike Connolly was in double figures. And again, Bogdanovich hit some huge shots throughout the game, but missed the biggest one at the end. He had 19. You start, yeah, you start to wonder, right? I mean, what is this team going to look like in the next few seasons? I don't know. I, I definitely think the bottom half, the depth of this team can be certainly improved. There's no question about that. I just, are they going to look at the stars and, and think we're going to rebuild? I, I I really start to wonder that. And in a West that continues to get better and better, you know, I, oh, I wonder if Utah thinks that th- this is the time and they're not good enough to, to compete for a title. Because to be fair, you look at the last few seasons, right, of Utah Jazz basketball, and they have underachieved. I think that's pretty fair to say, right? I mean, you look at the last few playoff runs, and I mean, even going back to the bubble, right? I mean, even going back then, where you were kind of expecting a possibility of a Utah Jazz 
not resurgence or maybe not even a run, but the, you know, they could at least advance. And I mean, I was looking back at this a couple of days ago when they got eliminated and the last few seasons, I mean, l- listen, they've got a great team, right? Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have been phenomenal, you know, since, I mean, Quinn Snyder, since taking over back in 2014, 15, they've only had, uh, two losing seasons it was his first two years in charge and then they've made the playoffs six straight years Utah they've been in the playoffs six straight years however they haven't made it past the second round in any of those series you know I mean that's that's pretty telling they've won three division titles during that time they were the top overall seed in the west last season they were 52 and 20 however they have not gotten out of the second round and you start to wonder how much longer can they can they keep doing this? I mean, the last time the Utah Jazz were in a conference finals, you have to go back to 2006, 2007. And of course, that was a Jerry Sloan outfit that was very good. It was a very strong team at the time, and he gets them to the conference finals. But since then... Again, since Jerry Sloan left, th- this Utah team has not been there. And I'll I'll even I'll even run it through here. I mean, during that 07 playoff run, that was a team that was led by Paul Millsap, Carlos Boozer, Derek Fisher was on that team, as well Andre Karolinko, but most notably you, know, you look at guys like Darren Williams on that team as well. I mean, a lot of those, some of those guys were young on that team as well. I mean, Paul Millsap was a rookie. Boozer was in his fourth year. Williams was in his uh, was in his second year in the league, I believe, first or second year. And they made it happen. It was a good team still. And you know, Ronnie Brewer was a rookie that year as well. I, I mean. It's pretty remarkable that they even got there, frankly, when you look at how it panned out. But they lost to the Spurs in five games, and that was that. They beat the Rockets in seven in the first round, then they beat Golden State in five in the second. Utah hasn't been back since to a conference finals. And you start to wonder, is this going to be that team that does it, or is it not? And that's, excuse me, you know, what is telling? about where Utah thinks, where Danny Ainge thinks that that, that group is at. It's a shame. I, I, w- I hope they don't. I really hope they don't blow it up. But the proof is in the pudding. Six straight years in the playoffs, no conference finals appearances. None. And it's only going to get tougher. So either Utah's got to buy in and get another player on this team that can get them there, or... They might they might ship this. They might say that we're done. So it's going to be fascinating to see. Just to quickly wrap up this section of the bracket, Phoenix up 2-0 right now on, on Dallas. They've looked great in that series. And frankly, you know, barring a minor miracle, I think Phoenix wins that series pretty convincingly. I, I don't know if Dallas can hang with them. Not that, you know, not that they even played that poorly at times in the series, but I just think Phoenix has just been dynamite. They've been dynamite. They've been so good 
and they're turning it on again at the right time with everybody, you know, complimenting each other as, you know, as Monty Williams intended, right? This was the Phoenix team that was the best team in the regular season and Dallas is running into them at the worst possible time. So we'll see. I I mean, Dallas has been tough at home in the postseason. I think that's worth mentioning. You know, again, Utah, not as good of a team. But I do, I do think that Dallas will will put up a fight. I just think that if Phoenix keeps playing the way that they're playing right now, I think they're going to win the championship. I really do. I, I don't think anybody stops them if they keep playing like this. And, and honestly, if there is a team that could stop them, it's probably the Bucs. <laughs> you know, maybe Golden State. We'll get to them in a second. They're in a bit of a, of a fight as well. We'll talk about that series, which is getting nuts as well. But I, I just, Phoenix feels to me like they're they're rolling. They're rolling. We'll see if they can keep it going, right? I mean, again, it's only a couple of games. When, it, when, when a road team can win a game in a series, that's when the series begins, they say. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll take a break here. We will take a break. When we come back, oh boy, it's getting good between Memphis and Golden State as we were hoping for in that series as it shifts to Cali for games three and four and we'll talk about Bucks Celtics and a whole lot more as well coming up after this on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. All right, let's dive in. Second half of the show. Good stuff still to come here as we continue our playoff recap from the last week. I, I think we start with Memphis and Golden State here. We'll get to Bucks, uh, Bucks Celtics, I should say, in just a second. But I do want to mention that what a series Memphis-Minnesota was. It, it went down to the wire again in Game 6. Minnesota, again, just couldn't hold on to leads in this series. They had another lead. In Game 6, Memphis, again, showing you that they've got a solid jaw on them. They can take a punch. Oh, man. It is so much fun to watch them battle back in games. Uh, the, the, the John Morant dunks in this series have been tremendous. I mean, just the depth that Memphis has shown the fight and heart defensively. We saw it in Game 2 as well with Memphis evening up the series against Golden State. But... Tip of the cap to the Timberwolves. I hope that they can get get it going again next year. They're, they're a fun team to watch when they're clicking. And they just got to, you know, use this experience and come back stronger because they really could have done some damage in this postseason if they had learned to close out games. My goodness. They could have beat Memphis very easily if they'd closed out a couple. They had three chances. Three of the four games they lost, they had a big lead. And they let it slip. So... I think if if Minnesota can figure out how to close games, they're a dangerous team moving forward. They're gonna have to get they're gonna have to get better. I think they need to add in a few areas, but Minnesota could be a team in the for the future here. It's really it's really impressive for where they've been the last few years that it's worked for them this year. Really impressive. The coaching staff and this and this set of players, extremely impressive. So Memphis moved on. It was a great series. I'd argue it was the best series of the first round. Very good series. And then obviously, you know, when you look at what a Warriors-Grizzlies series has been last year, they had beef from the play-in a year ago. And Minnesota, I should say Memphis, sorry. Memphis beat them, knocked them out of the playoffs in the play-in at Golden State. 
a season ago. Should be mentioned that Golden State was without Klay Thompson. You know, they they had injuries. I don't even know if Draymond Green played in those games. A lot of injuries. So now both teams are revved up. I mean, both teams are at full strength. And the first two games have been awesome. They really... The first two games have been everything you'd hope an NBA playoff series could possibly be. Game one was tight the whole way, especially in the second half. And in the end... Golden State holds on to beat Memphis in game one, 117 to 116. And really the difference in the game was Jordan Poole. He had 31 points, nine assists, eight rebounds, and they needed all of it. You know, Steph only had 24. Clay had 15. He shot three of 10 from deep. And then Andrew Wiggins had 17. Those are the four that could be really big. And, you know, again, Gary Payton, the second is now hurt, but... He had eight points in game one, seven rebounds, had some big moments. So that was important, right? And then, and I believe Draymond had gotten ejected in that game for a silly, uh, you know, a silly play. He only played 17 minutes because of that. But then game two is what everyone's talking about, right? With the Dylan Brooks foul on Gary Payton the second, which is now basically sidelined Gary Payton the second for the rest of the postseason. I believe he's got a fracture uh, in his elbow, and that's that. So, listen, I, I, I've heard a lot of different thoughts on it. I tend, as many of you I think should, before you pipe up on some of these things, these, you know, when it's whether it's basketball, baseball, hockey, even, you know, football, and at times even soccer, when you see these unwritten rules, right? Baseball's the king of them, don't get me wrong, but other sports have them. And this is an unwritten rule in basketball that when you go for a hard foul, even in the playoffs, you should not do it with an, uh, you know against an airborne player. If you're up in the air, you should not do it. You should get, concede the bucket, or at least not do what Dylan Brooks did, which is whack him on the head. And then watch what happens after that. And he tried to brace himself. I've been there. I've broken my wrist doing it, actually, playing basketball back in middle school where I went up for a rebound and I got it. And then as I passed it away, I braced myself with my uh, with my right arm and I broke my wrist. It popped. And my wrist had a big hump in it. It still actually looks a little, one of the bones actually still popped out a little bit from it. Uh, over the years happened like seventh or eighth grade, I think. Uh, but enough about me, right? I, I just, <laughs> I just want to say that you gotta, you gotta go with the players' opinions on this. The players have been through the battles; they've had these things happen to them, or they've been on the receiving end, uh, or done it themselves. And I thought, the, the, I thought again, I, I always try to, you know, go to the inside crew first. I think that Shaq, Kenny, and Charles Barkley are really good at breaking this stuff down. And I thought combined they had a great thought, which was, you know, when you look at the play and not worry about, you know, intent or anything like that, it's a dirty play. There's no question about that. But Dylan Brooks wasn't trying. And and by the way, Dylan Brooks is not a dirty player. He's just a very physical player that's very good defensively, is going to grind you down. And by the way, I don't think Draymond Green is necessarily dirty either, but he's had moments where you can make an argument, right? Dylan Brooks' situation, I think he just mistimed it, I think you can argue, and just hit him in the wrong spot. I think I think he tried to foul him, don't get me wrong, but he didn't try to hurt him. 
And that's where I think this whole debate has sprung out with is there's a difference between trying to foul somebody and stop them from you know, the no layup rule stuff and trying to hurt them, right? And, you know, in the 80s and 90s, that line was extremely blurred, right, with the bad boys and the Knicks and, you know, the Heat, you know, teams like that. But nowadays, I mean, it's very clear that Dylan Brooks didn't mean to do that. He just didn't foul him the correct way, and he went over the line. I think that's the best way you could put it. He didn't mean to, to make a dirty play there. He's not a dirty player. There was no intent to hurt. But it he ended up making a dirty play. He he, had, he hit an airborne player on the head, and his, his elbow, or, or I think it was his elbow, got broken, and he got ejected, rightfully so. It's, it's a flagrant two every day of the week. You know, even the worst officials will get that one right. And Dylan Brooks was rightfully ejected from game two. However, Memphis won anyway. 106-101, a huge fourth quarter from John ja Morant. And the Grizzlies evened the series. John ja Morant tied a career playoff high with 47 points. He was tremendous. Dude's a beast. And they evened the series going back for a game three in Golden State. And I just can't wait for this series to develop further. It, it is my favorite playoff series of the second round. No question in my mind about it. There's beef. There's history. There's bad blood. The teams don't like each other. And I can't wait to see who wins this series. So it's a shame, right? Because the Heat are dominating the Sixers. The Suns have dominated the Mavs. So those two series are kind of, you know, they're, they're wait and see kind of series. However, you know, you look at, at what's coming with Bucks Celtics, which we'll get to in a second, and Warriors Grizzlies. We got some stuff to come. I mean, there's some good series coming up, one in the East, one in the West, and Saturday's the day to watch NBA basketball. I mean, Friday, you, you, you might... You might want to skip it. I mean, I, I could see maybe Dallas getting back into it, but but the Sixers might get sentenced to to the beach here in Game Three. <laughs> their their season might come to an end, and with all tents and purposes, in Game Three. However, Dallas still has a puncher's chance of getting back into it. But Saturday, three thirty, Bucks six, uh, Bucks Celtics. I want to say Sixers, Bucks Celtics Game Three in Milwaukee. Can't wait. And then Warriors, Grizzlies at 8.30 in Cali. I, I can't wait. Those two series have just been tremendous so far. And I'm fascinated to see how they're going to end. Now, let's finish things up by talking Bucks celtics Because, listen, uh, Warriors-Grizzlies is the best series left. There's, there's a ton of juice there. No question about it. However... Bucks Celtics is not far off. The first two games of this series were tremendous. I, I immediate first thing I want to bring up. First thing I want to bring up was a game one, the ridiculous alley oop dunk, Kobe esque almost by by Giannis in the gar in the ball in TD Garden in Boston. He goes through traffic, looks like he's missed the shot. It looks like he actually lost track of the ball he then regathers 
and dunks it off the backboard. I mean, just ridiculous. The plays that we've come to expect from Giannis are absolutely tremendous. It really, it boggles your mind because again, watching it live, I was watching that game live and I thought he lost it. I thought he made a mistake. But Giannis just got himself out of a really tight spot and turned it into a ridiculous play. I mean, that's that's showing you why he might be now the best player in the NBA. Those are the kind of plays where you go, oh, it might be Giannis, you know. It might be Giannis. He might be the best. He might be the best player in the league. You know, that's those are the kind of plays he makes where you just go, oh, man. It might be that guy. It That guy might be the best. But then... Game two rolls around, and the Bucks didn't show up. I, I mean, the Celtics blitzed them in the first half, and the game was, I mean, listen, it's the playoffs. Crazy things can happen. Comebacks have already happened in this postseason and happen in most postseason where you see ridiculous comebacks and, and series recoveries and great games. But the Celtics sucked the life out of the Bucks in that first half and what were they up by like 25 at the half that's that's miracle kind of stuff and listen you know i i do want to i do want to mention that you know the bucks didn't make it a game but they they didn't give up either especially in the third quarter I, i they stayed with it i think that's worth mentioning however I do want to also mention that the Sixers just kept burying them. They just kept burying them and fair play, fair play to the Bucks because sorry, fair play to the Celtics because the Bucks did not show up and the Celtics took full advantage. Now I must say one thing that should be um, mentioned as well is the Celtics couldn't miss from three in this game. That was this, you know, they outplayed them, but the Celtics also shot a ridiculous percentage from threes. I think they shot 47% from deep, and they took a lot of threes. (laughs) They They took a boatload of threes in that game, and they made 46, sorry, they made 46.5%, so round it up. They made 47% of their threes. That's crazy. That's a crazy amount for what they took, Boston. I mean, it it really was out-of-this-world kind of stuff. And you wonder, can they keep that going, right? Can they continue to do that? The answer is no, obviously. I think the Bucs will figure it out. Mike Budenholzer will make an adjustment. However, I, I mean, they shot... Well, here you go. They shot 20 of 43. From deep, I think that was a record of some sort. I'm not sure what record the Celtics. It might be a playoff game. I'm not sure, but it was ridiculous. And I just thought, wow, can they do that again? And and the Bucks had one of their worst three point shooting games of the season. They they shot three of eighteen from deep. They're not going to do that again. You would think it's going to average out. So. The Celtics, we'll see, but they had a heck of a performance. I mean, Tatum went 5 of 10. Jalen Brown went 6 of 10 by themselves from deep. That was the difference in the game. Now, the Boston still outplayed them, but they made their shots, and that's where you go, hmm, 
Can they continue that? I wonder. I, I don't know. I still think the Bucks will win this series. They got the game they needed in Boston. I kind of feel like this series goes six. And I think Milwaukee will win it on their home floor in game six. I think that I, I think I think Milwaukee will win game three. And then they'll win game four. And then I think Boston will win game five. And I think then Milwaukee will win game six. That's my prediction. But we'll see. Boston has proven that they can win on the road in the playoffs so far with this group. And with Robert Williams back, they become a different animal defensively. They held they held the Bucs to 86 points. I mean, that's that's not nothing. That's a big deal. That's just as impressive as the three-point shooting. Actually, more so. Especially because of after after how poorly they were, I thought, in game one. So, give the Celtics credit, but I think the Bucks will right the ship. I think they'll win the series. I think they'll show that championship medal that we've come to see throughout the season. And I I think it'll be a Bucks heat Eastern Conference Finals. That's kind of what I'm expecting. Now, in the West, I almost don't care who wins. I mean, as long as Phoenix beats Dallas... That, is, that Western Conference Finals is going to be nuts. Whether it's Golden State or it's Memphis. It's going to be amazing. You know, if I had to say, like, if you had to make me choose, I think I'd want Golden State Phoenix in the West because I'd love to see Steph and Clay against CP3 and Devin Booker. But Memphis would give Phoenix a hell of a battle. Make no mistake. Make no mistake about it. But we'll see. Listen, I think right off the bat, I think Golden State will win at least game three. But I could see Memphis. I really could. I could see Memphis evening this series up and having 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 game five in their building with a chance to go up 3-2. I could easily see that instead of them fighting off elimination. But I think, I think game three will tell me a lot. Will tell all of us a lot about where that series is going. Because if... If Golden State can win it and win it convincingly, I could see them finishing the series in six on their home floor. And I don't know if Memphis wins that series because that's when you start to go, ooh, Golden State's, they put the marker down here and Memphis has to respond. And and I don't know how many times they can do that because, listen, Memphis against Minnesota had to keep clawing back and getting leads back and, you know, and fighting back from down double digits multiple times. Golden State's a tough team to do that against. Golden State's been there. They've done that. And they know how to close out games. They've got two closers on their team. So I, I really worry for Memphis if they keep playing that kind of a game where they kind of let the, let the opponents take the initiative and build a lead. Because at some point, it's going to come back and get you. You know, there's... Times in the postseason, right, where you start to wear down. And Memphis is one of those teams where they still don't have that experience yet. And you wonder how they're going to fare if Golden State's up big in a game three or a game four. But we'll see. I mean, the, and to be fair, these are the moments where you, where you figure that out. You figure that out as a team. So we'll wait and see. But we got some great playoffs coming up. No question about that. Memphis, Golden State's tremendous. Milwaukee, Boston is living up to the hype. And we'll see if, if Dallas and less likely Philly can get back into these series. But for now, I'm enjoying the, the, the series between the Celtics and the Bucks, And I'm also enjoying 
the series between the Grizzlies and the Warriors. So I can't wait to see how it plays out, and we'll talk more about it next week. We'll also, as we wrap things up here, we will get back to Nick's talk. We will weave that back in. But the last few weeks of playoff games have just been so good, and there hasn't been enough Nick's stuff to talk about where it's warranting significant time on the show. Again, we had some stories the last couple of weeks that took 10 to 20 minutes to get to on the show, but when the playoffs are this good, it's hard to turn away. It's hard not to talk playoffs right now, especially on a podcast where we we fill 40 minutes every week. It's hard not to mention it. It's hard not to dive in because it's been tremendous. So let me know what you think about the Knicks offseason as always, where you think the Knicks are going to go, where do you think the Knicks need to do. Let me know what you think about these playoff series. They've been tremendous so far, and we're looking forward to more playoff drama as the days and weeks go by. Saturday, Bucks, celtics and then, of course, we have Memphis and Golden State, and I can't wait for it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at SJ7. That's the best place to reach me, or postingandtoasting.com. Check out some draft articles on there from our writers, and also you can go to the Shock Shock Knicks podcast logo. You can leave a comment, and you can hit up uh, the show through there. As always, if not, you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Stay safe out there, and I will see you all next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.